COVID situation is an absolute breakdown in trust in pillars of society, police, yeah. political process, all mainstream media, what little trust there was in pharma, the scientific process, the medical establishment, etc. Comment that that listener made, I completely and utterly agree wholeheartedly with with every, everything that he said. Soran, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got the nail on the head for that comment. Take away those diamonds, I don't need those rocks. A second hand car and a new pair of socks. I want liberty without conditions. Good evening, good evening, one and all, as John would say when he introduces the other show. Welcome, one and all, to Chasing Descent After Dark with me, Ben, with John over there. He's in the van in France, as always. And with us tonight is a man named Matt Tacey, a registered, well, I say a registered, an NHS mental health nurse from the Midlands. And we are going to have a conversation. Uh, this is this is John's lead. So John's going to take the lead on this. And we are just going to we're going to go in. We're going to have a conversation and uh, we'll see where it goes. So welcome one and all. And welcome, Matt, to Chasing Descent After Dark. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks for agreeing to this. I never thought anyone in the NHS would agree to come and have a conversation with us. But we've been trying for for what six months? Six months, really? yeah, about six really? months. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I hope I meet your expectations. I, I, there are no expectations on this show, none whatsoever. And I mean, as far as we are concerned, there's no limits. Um, we don't self censor. Um, the only self-censoring we do is we pull the, the show down from YouTube afterwards. Yeah, because they don't like us. Yeah, they don't like us. But feel free to to swear if you have to. You know, there's no problem yeah. there. Uh, say and say what you want, quite you honestly. Can say, you can say anything you like. Uh, before before we do start, can I just make something very clear? Yep. yep. That anything I share tonight is not shared by my employer. Yes. And it is all my personal opinion. So I just want to make that very clear from the start off. Absolutely. And that's what we like to hear. And that's what we want. We want, we we don't want the, the, we don't want the opinion of the NHS. We want the opinion of the people, the human beings on the ground, because people speak of the NHS like it's this, this, this golden goose, this monolith. It's a thing. And everybody within it is part of a machine. No, it's not. It's human beings and especially human beings on the front line. That you know, as a disabled person myself, I, I've I've met many of you. I will say that, and you're human beings. So uh, that's what we want. We want to talk to human beings, and we want to have human conversations. Mm-hmm. So do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt? Um, you know, just in general terms, how long you've been a a nurse, and and how you find it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you. People may be confused. I was introduced as being from the Midlands, but my accent is certainly not a Yorkshire accent. So I'm originally from the East End, East London. Um, yep. So I grew up in, you know, quite a rough area growing up in East London, um, but made my way, you know, into nursing when I was about 18. Both my parents were nurses, so it's sort of a natural pathway for me to follow. Been a nurse now since the age of, what, 23, 24, so nearly 10 years now. Um, and I've worked in a range of services, children's services, all related to mental health and secure units and medium secure units um, and community. So I've, I've, I've experienced pretty much a lot, mo- the majority of what you can you can experience as a psych nurse. That's, that's, so it's a good varied background and, and obviously you've, you've had a, a good level of um, experience within the NHS. 
So I, I'd like to go back to the start. I'd like to go back to, you know, February 2020 when this was emerging and um, and people didn't know what to make of it. You know, there was conflicting data coming out. Some countries were saying things. We were starting to see crazy videos from China of people dropping dead allegedly in the streets. I, I, and, I smirk at that because when yeah. you look back at those videos, you see just how fake they are. I yeah. mean, I, 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 I am definitely not the type of person that will say to you, "There's no virus." Of course, there's a fucking virus. Excuse my yeah. language, but um, those those videos in the streets of China, in China, of people dropping down, have we've never seen anything like that anywhere else on Earth, and it was just simply to scare us. Yeah, I, th- I think so. So, but what was it like in the NHS at that time? Were, were you as confused as we were? Initially, yeah, yeah, initially, and 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 I think again, my personal opinion is, is when we first heard about COVID, I didn't take it seriously. I just thought it's just another virus. It it's going to be isolated to China. Um, I didn't, I didn't take it. I think it took me a good few months to actually realise. Hang on, maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is some genuine, you know, it's quite authentic. There's something to this. So, at the beginning, it was yeah. I think it was confusing for everybody that worked in the National Health Service. We didn't. I personally didn't expect it to to come to our borders or to our shores or to be, you know, as 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 affected as we have been in, in mm-hmm. well, restrictions and vaccines and lockdowns and what have you. So. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, when it first came to our shores to two years later now, I didn't think we'd be sat in this position yeah. where we've only just, you know, got rid of the restrictions. So let's let's actually go back the year before then. So let's go back to a, a regular flu season. What was that like normally for the NHS? Because we've all seen the, the Guardian. The front pages, you know, yeah. The front page of the Guardian, NHS overwhelmed, NHS overwhelmed. And that, that's run every year since 2010 right through to 2019. So what was it like in a normal flu season for the NHS? I mean, it's, it's difficult for me to say from an inpatient's perspective. I'm not a general nurse, and that's yep. the majority of patients you will see in an inpatient sort of ICU and HDUs and stuff. But I, th- I think winters are always very, very difficult. Um, you know, we are we are 40,000 nurses short. We're 100,000 um, professionals you know, across the whole NHS, we're short. So I think the flu season, when there always is a bit of an increase in, in admissions, um, is always a struggle. Um, I, I do genuinely think, though, that, that sort of the flu compared to the COVID, particularly the first, when the first wave, and even the, the sort of, not Omicron as such, but the second wave was particularly bad. I mean, I am quite lucky that I speak to nurses all over the country. I'm part of campaign groups, and you probably see on on, on, on my Twitter page, I'm, I'm part of sort of a camp, uh, different campaign groups. So I yeah. speak to nurses all across the country from different professions. But, um, but yeah, we are always pretty much overrun during winter um just because of the significant amount of nurses we have short yeah i mean from what i understand icus uh especially in the winter regularly run at about a 90 plus percent capacity regardless I, I, again I, I don't know whether that's true i, I can't answer that because i'm not an, in, an inpatient that's from my experience and you know, I can speak for a bit psychiatric patients. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, definitely, it's, it's difficult for me to say about So I have a question, and this is kind of coming a bit further forward than I think John wanted to at the moment, but is it is it is it bad, psychiatric-wise, at the moment? Is it bad? Bad? Bad in the sense of what? The, the number of patients we, yeah. we've got? Um, yes. 
um, over the last 10 years, we've lost 20, 22,000 beds. Yeah, I know that. Um, for me, for me, it's bad when you've got patients sitting in, the, in an acute gen generic hospital waiting three, four, even in some situations, months before they're actually admitted to an appropriate bed. Yeah. That is really concerning, you know, because they're not getting the, the psychological support that they actually need because they're sat in a waiting for a bed. So it does concern me the amount of cuts to beds yeah I, I i wholeheartedly agree with you and um i have cptsd myself mm -hmm. um i went through something about 14 years ago um with with an ex-partner an abusive ex-partner and at that time i will say i was uh swiftly admitted to the correct place at that time but that was only off the back of a suicide attempt um up until that point I was not able to get access to the help that I wanted or needed. And uh, I, I blame the system more than I blame the people for that. But once once I actually got into that position, I was able, I, I, I mean, the help was, it was like night and day. It was so overwhelmingly good. Um, and I, I, that that sounds odd, talking about a psychiatric ward and calling it good. But believe me, with, without the people that helped me, and the place that I was in, um, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. So, you know, I personally really appreciate the job that you guys do. And I know how hard it is because I've seen it firsthand and I've lived it. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing is often people, people are in a crisis at that moment in time. They need mm -hmm. that intervention, that support at that moment in time. And often if there's, there's been there's been several several incidents where there's been no psychiatric beds available for any patients across the country. This also happened when I was a CAMS nurse. There was no beds. Mm -hmm. And CAMS inpatient units are very few and far between. So often you're sending young people two, 300 miles away from their parents and their families. Yeah, so and I've seen helpful. that happen as well. Um, fortunately, I was able to to stay local uh, but like I say, this was 14 years ago, and I'm aware that, that, that as you said, 22, it's 22,000, isn't it? It's about um, approximately, yeah. Inpatient beds for psychiatric people uh, or patients have, have been cut. Uh, and um, I, I think we're at a point now where, I, I hate to use hyperbolic phrases, but I think we're about to see and are seeing a mental health tsunami. And it's it's at a time where the government... They claim they they claim things. They're very clever with the way that they they use their figures on many things. But they claim, oh, we're giving more funding to the NHS. But in real terms, they just continue to cut and cut and cut. I mean, during the course of this pandemic, they cut beds. They cut beds. Mm -hmm. I, I don't yeah, well, get it. Almost every country's done that yeah. as well. I mean, France cut five thousand seven hundred beds in the last year. It's, during a pandemic. it's really inconsistent because you think the population of, of the UK is ever increasing. So the need for beds is ever going to increase. We've got Absolutely. to think about the stigma, break down the stigma. It's easier to access help. So there's going to be more people needing that help because it's easier to access. But then to it's, it's inconsistent that you're, you're cutting. And don't get me wrong, not all psychiatric patients are treated in a psychiatric unit. There's a lot of work yeah. that, you know, in the service that I work in where they provide care in the community. But yeah. You know, it just seems it, when we're reaching a point, I mean, what really frustrates me as a psych nurse is if you broke your leg and attended a general hospital and you got turned away and said, I'm sorry, we've got no beds, there would be an absolute uproar. Oh, my Absolutely. God, how can you send somebody home with a broken leg? 
but then you could also argue somebody that's going through a psychiatric crisis that needs that support there and then yeah. the risk that they could potentially end their lives is is, is far greater now it, it, why is there why is there not an uproar about no beds in sac units but the, but there would be if there was no beds in generic hospitals you know you it, know what i completely agree with you because like i say as someone who's been through it and who has been there um I completely agree with you. And somebody who is in a very, very, very fragile, stable, uh, unstable, volatile mental state is unpredictable. And unpredictable people are dangerous, can be very dangerous, not just to themselves, but to others. You know, I think there's still a bit of that, you know, they don't recognise that people need help. There's still that stigma attached to mental health, you know, man up, just get on with it. You know, there's still a bit of that, especially in the older generation. Yeah, yeah. You do you do see it particularly when you go to patients and, and they've got older parents. Um, I'm a huge advocate, particularly with men and mental health and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. the stigma around man up, grow some balls, mm-hmm. all of these things. You're taught as a young boy to remain quiet. You, you need to deal with the things by yourself. But actually we are humans as well and i'm a huge advocate for for men can men can cry men can get upset men have just as many emotions as women do yeah and you know the, the stigma around man up you know society talks you know us what those two words those two words were the exact words used to me by a police officer uh, i won't say which police station it was in but they were the two words used to me by a police officer when I turned up battered and bruised and tried to report the physical and sexual abuse a woman had perpetrated on me, I was told to man up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I I can't tell you how 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 long and how hard it was to to finally get to the point where I took myself to that place in order to do that, and uh, and to get that response, uh, it it pushed me it pushed me over the edge. Sorry, John. I'd I'd like to go back to to March 2020 because you were working in the community then. That's correct, yeah. So they instigated these lockdowns, and to me that that seems to, from from a point of how you dealt with that, you know, your people are already potentially isolated to a certain degree anyway, and then suddenly they're cut off from almost everything. Um, Yeah. How do people deal with that? It was it was it was difficult. It was incredibly difficult. I think it was at that at that stage. It was it was the complete and utter unknown. We didn't know what the risks were. I think the safest option was, you know, what we implemented was to lock down is is just to try and slow the spread of this potential, you know, the potential spread of this disease so, until we get an understanding. Unfortunately, you know, it did have it did have an, it had it would have an impact on 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 anybody without a sort of submit severe mental illness. And then for somebody, yeah. we often what we forget is often that nurse that visits that every three or four weeks is the only person that actually visits them. Yeah, yeah. So that isolated and you know it, it it I want to make it very clear that a lot of the nurses that I worked with found it incredibly difficult. You know as part of being nurses, we care and we want to support people. And actually it felt like a lot of that care had to be put on hold because yeah. we, 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 were to, we, we were told it was law. You, you, I mean, there were some patients, don't get me, I want to make it clear that, that if they were in a significant crisis, we did go out and we had to risk assess every single visit. And if people that were sort of stable, um, not at risk to themselves or others, we were able to do sort of phone consultations, but, but those that were in a crisis, we did go out. But again, it's, it's, 
you know, a lot of people have had their care on hold. I mean, the thing the thing that I don't quite understand, though, is we've never tried an experiment like this in the past. You know, we've never isolated and quarantined healthy people. We've always quarantined the sick. You know, if you had symptoms and and you didn't have, and, you, you know, you, you were then asked to stay at home or whatever and not interact with other people if you had symptoms. But we've never done this experiment where we just quarantine the healthy population. And it, it seems to me as if we've, we've got a time bomb still ready to kick off. I mean, Ben was explaining yesterday that the, the government were told that we were going to have like between 200 and 500,000 deaths as a result of lockdown. You know, due to they were handed a risk they were handed a risk benefit analysis by I believe it was Warwick University, which initially <laughs> said that, that the lockdowns would cause two hundred thousand deaths, and then that was updated to say up to five hundred thousand deaths as a direct cause, maybe not in, in the immediate term, but maybe over 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 the course of a few years. So at that point, in my view. And this might sound, you know, extreme, I don't know, but the government's handed a document and they're told, if you do this, you are going to kill up to half a million people. And they decide to kill up to half a million people. Mm. Uh, and that's, uh, and throughout my, before we did Chasing Descent, I used to do live shows um, uh, most afternoons just to a, a group of people who who really were having in poor mental health like me and we just used to talk together and i used to open the phone line and let them uh call in and many of them are still in this uh in this chat to this day very very loyal uh beautiful people um but i i i don't know where we go from this i mean i, I give you an example we've got a, a really brave woman in the chat right now her name is lisa um, she has cancer and her mum uh, sadly passed away recently from dementia um, and they, she was passed from pillar to post, from unit to care home, unit to care home and it said in her, I've got copies of her hospital notes, it said that her dementia and ultimately her passing were exasperated, um, exasperated. by the lockdown. It specifically says deterioration of dementia due to COVID lockdown in her notes. And I can't, I can't compartmentalize that in my mind. And I've tried to speak out and I've tried to be a voice for elderly people locked in care homes, people alone. Um, and it seems like it falls on deaf ears. And we, we do, we do, we do heavy news in the week, but on a Friday, I like to do a good mental health show where I'll get the guitar out, play people songs and, sing and make them smile and make them happy um but our our message that we just wanted to 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 let people know that these people are suffering and they exist it just never cut through mm -hmm. I, I, I believe me a lot of a lot of nhs workers are angry um i think we i personally am very angry at this current government for a number of reasons it's not yes. just in relation to how they have dealt with COVID, it's it's mm. it's a number of. I mean, oh, just a little bit off topic here, but energy prices. My energy price this month, it's just it's yeah. absolutely atrocious. And I, I think I'm I'm quite lucky in the sense that I've got a, a really you know a, 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 I've got a living. You know, I've got a wage coming in. But those people that are unable to work, relying on benefits, 
it breaks my heart just imagining people are genuinely and this this isn't just a you know a, a, to score points people are genuinely choosing between eating or heating and that is wow. me and my wife have 63 pounds that's mm. all we have um we the bills are paid the freezer's full the kids are gonna eat and uh I, I, what we do with the rest of that money it's gonna go on paying for heating it pretty much because we're paying about uh because we're on prepay i think we're paying about 10 pound every two days for gas at the moment Yep. Um, and uh, we're paying oh, an atrocious amount for electricity, an atrocious yeah. amount. You know, I'll be honest, I think much of this drive towards net zero um, is, is misguided to start with, but that's a whole climate change thing that we could go down a big rabbit hole about. I think a lot of it is driven by Carrie. I think that's her. I think it's her agenda, and I think she's in Boris's ear, and she's driving that forward. I can see you nodding and agreeing there. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I, I've got a feeling of a Carrie, you know, whenever Boris Johnson's in trouble, Carrie always seems to give birth, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> There's always, you know, and when it, when it was these, these parties that you attended, I, I was convinced she was going to announce she gave birth to another baby. Just cause, <laughs> and what, um, so each one was just a baby shower? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think you know we're we're the fifth or sixth you know richest country in the world. How have we got into a position where we have genuinely got people no, in our society? Well, not the fifth or sixth richest. We're not even in the top ten when it comes to richest. Are we? Are we? No. No. We've if, got if, the biggest. We've got the fifth largest economy. It, if you look at it from a wealth perspective, I think we're counted as six, right? Okay. From a purely rich country, we're nowhere near it. Yeah, because um, as Saw Arm says in the chat here, it's mostly debt. Yeah, yeah, that's that is true. Yeah, yeah. and you know, yeah, Monaco's top of the pile when it comes to the richest, and it doesn't even appear in the wealthiest country list. Mm-hmm. But you know, what, what, what you know, what I was sort of getting to is, is is how have we got to a position where people are genuinely sat at home and starving? Yeah, you know, and that it's. I think it's a number of reasons. I think we've been significantly poorly led over the last few years. Um, so, so yeah, and that, that all impacts on mental health. You know, people stressing about how they're going to pay their bills. They've got debt collectors coming around. This is all impacting on mental health. And I agree with your, your statement earlier when you you said that the, the mental health tsunami. And I genuinely fear that yeah. following COVID, once the dust has settled, and people, the thing is, I lost my grandma during COVID. Uh, it was New Year's Day last year. Oh, I have a grief for her. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. But you know, I've i I'm very mindful. I haven't grieved for her. And once the death dust settles and I'm able to actually process what's happened, that's going to hurt me. How many other people are going through the same thing? You know, people are yeah. realizing how isolated they've been, the loss that they've experienced, the loss. You know, we've lost two years of our lives. Yeah, I think the one that really summed it up for me was the the one where they were filming people in a crematorium, and they were all sat you know, well apart from each other. And this guy picked his chair up and moved it next to the, I think, the widow. And then someone else did the same thing. And then the guys came in and broke it up. And you're thinking, that's inhumane. It doesn't doesn't matter about a respiratory virus at that point, you know, because that's actually inhumane. So that that video you're referring to, it was actually you're right. It was the widow, and it was her two sons. Yeah, her two sons. So they were grieving, lost, losing their father, and they wanted to reassure. And I remember it vividly because it hit hit the news, and 
everybody just thought that now that is definitely a step too far and i was listening to lbc recently and there was a, another gentleman who was a he works in the crematorium and he said he was preventing family members from entering to pay their respects and he says he feels like an absolute idiot now and he would he, do you know what fed he broke down in tears he was that yeah. remorseful he says i've ruined them paying respect to their families while we've got boris and his chums having parties and he, you know, he, he was absolutely devastated. I mean, with my grandma's funeral, I'm not sure if I said it, but I've got an sort of Irish family. So we, you know, it was Catholic, we're Catholic family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the restrictions were in place, but actually that, that human contact and that reassurance from family member to family member was far more important to us than potentially the, the I, risk of COVID. I think you're hundred percent right. I think, I think the, the restrictions are barbaric. Um, I, I can't see, any benefit from them and when you actually look at the data the countries that didn't have restrictions haven't done any worse and in mm. some cases have done better you know, so I, think, I can't see the problem at the, the beginning at the beginning I, I i think i agreed with some of the restrictions because i it was the unknown we didn't know what was happening we saw all these as you mentioned earlier china and these videos of people mm. falling down at that moment we didn't i didn't know whether to believe it or not um, I think through fear, I probably agreed to a lot of the restrictions and, and I still think some of them were needed. Now we've got the vaccines. Um, now, you know, now there's probably herd immunity. I think that's, well, although I the government didn't tell us. I think. Well, no, no, if you're Nadine Dorries, herd immunity doesn't exist. Do you remember her standing up in Parliament and saying that? Jesus Christ, that woman, uh, this is just my personal opinion, but that woman, I think she lives on the sauce. I really do. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Every every interview I see, it's an absolute. It's it's a car crash interview, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's and, and believe it or not, actually, I don't know whether if, if, a few months ago in the House of Commons, she used to be the Minister for Mental Health. She did. Prevention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was there was the opposition sort of maybe set her up to to fail here, but the opposition stood up and said, right, the psychiatric help of everybody in the National Health Service and our communities need us to work cross party. Are you willing to work cross party to come up with a plan to ensure that we are addressing the, you know, the, the psychological well-being of the public? Seven times Nadine Doris refused in the House of Commons to, to work cross party. And that for me summed her attitude and her just her as a person up for me. Yeah, just uh, I, I, I can't stand all 650 of them. I think I can't stand any of them. My personal view on power in this country is that anybody or in any country, anybody that wants it should be nowhere near it. It is, is my personal view on well, power. I, I always say anyone who actively seeks public office should be disbarred from holding it. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so picking up a bad bunch, isn't it? They, 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 yeah. it's, it's the, there's a lot of policies I don't agree with. I mean, you've got I mean, Boris or you've got Keith. I Boris just or Keith. It. The whole system needs ripped out. Yeah, is flawed. it's become an absolute joke, hasn't it? Particularly over the last year, I think what we've seen—the behaviours of these ministers who are meant to be representing our country and leading us—have been yeah. it's been diabolical. Yeah, absolutely diabolical. And the thing is, what what is supposed to be Her Majesty's opposition has not only propped up the government; it's gone go harder, do worse, yeah. Yeah. screw them over more. <laughs> and speaking about things like that. So what would your take be, Matt, on, on for instance, the, the, the kind of psychological effect of, of the programming that they started? Because, you know, when they stood up there at their lecterns and they had the, the three-word slogans three times, 
I mean, that's 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 a brainwashing technique. Well, and it seems to me that what they've effectively done over the last two years is they've brainwashed people into a state of fear where they're now talking, you know, they're now releasing restrictions, and yet people are still hanging on to them. I mean, I suppose if... if I, I, it was compliance through fear, wasn't it? I yeah. Think yeah. A lot mm -hmm. of the images we saw were, were petrifying, harrowing. You know, we saw witnessing deaths and the information we were getting, but we know the media pretty much is controlled a lot by what the government wants to portray. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's any real impartial media out there out there. Um, and I'm impartial. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought he was waving at something. No, no, you say there's no impartial. We're impartial because, no, we, but... because we've got no paymasters. And that's that's yeah, the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the sort of main media outlets that we see on TV, yeah. you know, the ITVs, the BBCs, who I think are com BBC is completely and utterly corrupt. And I think they're very much on the pay packet of, yeah. of the government. But, yeah, I think it was, you know, it was compliance through fear. Um, at the beginning, you know, I, I was fearful. So it was the unknown for me. It was the unknown. Didn't have enough information. In nursing, you want evidence. You want, you like mm -hmm. to see results. You like to see blood tests and see results firsthand. Yeah. We weren't being provided that. It was just hearsay. And this is what's happening. These are the numbers of people that are dying, um, whether you believe the accurate number or not. Um, yeah. So it was definitely a, it was, it was a fearful time. But I, I, what, what I, what I remember seeing is um, one of the, one of, one of the. I don't know if you recall, but a, a businessman called Simon Dolan took the government to court very early on over these restrictions, and one of the things uh, he didn't win, but one of the things that did come of it was the release of minutes of meetings from the Sage Group, and I will, I will never forget. I believe it was early March in twenty uh, twenty. The minutes of the meeting clearly stated that they were essentially going to lie to people. It was in, in a way of most people don't feel sufficiently personally threatened because they've looked at the data and seen that they are not threatened. So what we need to do is raise the personal level of threat and fear using hard-hitting emotional messaging. So essentially, we're going to guilt trip them into being afraid of something that we already know when they look at the data, they really shouldn't be afraid of in certain age groups. And that, that to me was the, was the beginning of two years of brainwashing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I still don't know anyone that's actually died of COVID. I know, do I. I, know, I know people that have committed suicide as a result of the lockdowns. I mean, it was during the first lockdown, one of our friends committed suicide. Um, just create, and it, it just came out of the blue. You didn't even know there was anything wrong with them, you know. No, that's and I'm sorry to hear. I'm sorry to hear that, John. That's that's you know, it's. <laughs> I mean, often, often, just on the two matters you've raised. Obviously, I've lost my grandma. You know, she she had underlying health conditions. She caught COVID, and 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 you know, I knew she wasn't going to survive because she's she's got COPD and emphysema, which are respiratory. Yeah. And, and to be to be fair, Matt, um, and without you know denigrating her death in any way flu would have done the same thing yeah I, I, I suppose in hindsight it's 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 easy to say but i, I, don't, know. I don't know no that's, that's fair enough anyway sorry, carry on Just carry on no, the, and, and the second point i was going to say in, in regards to suicide you know often often in psychiatric you, you, you 
it's the people that smile that you need to be concerned about. It's the people that often people, like, like you said, but didn't, you didn't know anything was wrong. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that's, that's, that's sometimes why it's very, very difficult to, to save those people that are so desperate. You know, so as a friend, you know, it, it, you know, I don't know whether you do feel guilt, but often people feel guilt that they didn't recognize the signs. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you, you from that... the other side of it, being in that position, someone yeah. who tried to take his own life. Um, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I tried my damnedest not to show anyone the signs. I tried my damnedest to just keep myself to myself and keep my issues to myself until they just ate me up to the point where I felt like I had no other way out. But I didn't want attention. I didn't. I. I. I, I don't know if you. If if I should have asked for help. I mean, the only way I got the proper help that I deserved or needed, um, because I did go to the to the NHS and I was on uh, antidepressants and I antipsychotics. I was on um what do they call it prozac and haloperidol was it haloperidol the antipsychotic yeah i was on those um and they weren't helping me and then uh, apart from uh, apart from being you know prescribed those i was basically told to go away uh, the, uh, the, but it was at, at that point when i got to the point where i tried to take my own life that that the help kicked in and i think that's a big issue i really do think that's a big issue because it's it's you know it's good that the help did kick in but what what about the people who successfully took their own life as john's saying you know yeah and and, and, you know just to point out meds meds is to treat symptoms Mm -hmm. symptoms of trauma you know usually if if people Mm -hmm. are feeling suicidal they they need more than just medication medication will only treat the, the symptoms a lot of psychological therapy and talking therapies and, and will actually you know go to the root and be able to sort of manage and help people in the in the longer term so i had a man named chris so i did, I did a week as an inpatient um mm. and then i discharged myself uh because i was a voluntary inpatient i discharged myself um and i had a man named chris who came to my home every single day it was arranged for me and we just talked and mm. uh, without without him i call him my guardian angel without him i'd probably be fucking dead excuse my language but you know um but it's just so sad to me that that these sorts of therapies only kick in at a certain point or at least did when i was younger and with the reduction in beds i imagine it's only got worse and that's not the the fault of you guys that's that's the fault of the system that's the fault of the funding or or at least the allocation of the funding because i actually think our nhs is sufficiently funded i just think it wastes money uh you know you guys get funded a billion pounds every three days and uh trusts are basically encouraged to spend 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 so that they can get the budget again the following year so you end up paying 60 pound for a bloody ruler Anyway, before we go into that, one of the things that Matt said there was quite interesting, and it's that, you know, meds treat symptoms. Yeah. And I think I think that applies in some cases to more general medicine as well, and not just psychiatric, because it seems that, you know, the initial point of care is you treat the symptoms. But I I think there's there's a kind of lack of continuing on to find the root cause and, and treat the cause rather than the symptom. I, I think sometimes that's where our Western medicine lets ourselves down sometimes. But I don't think that's the fault of the individuals. I think that's the fault no, of the system. That, that is a system fault. But it, it's interesting that, that Matt should say it, you know, because I think it it's 
possibly easier seen in the psychiatric field than it is in, in more general medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, if, in terms, of, I mean, there is some chemical, I mean, the, for example, an SSRI, an antidepressant, will talk, I, mean, I don't want to bore you with the technicalities of it, but they do, they do change the levels of serotonin, which is a chemical in your brain. Yeah. But that, you know, that will reduce you feeling low or, or you know, feeling no motivation and tired and stuff. But often, now, even we've learned recently, even people that have a psychotic illness, a schizophrenia or, or, or a schizoaffective or something like that, CBT as a form of therapy is really, really effective. But mm -hmm. obviously, if somebody has a relapse of schizophrenia, they're likely to be hallucinating, hearing voices, uh, um, or, you know, quite elated, not sleeping. So you have to deal with those symptoms that are going to be really, really distressing in order to complete the therapies and stuff but talking yeah. about therapies we're talking years we're talking years Absolutely. waiting lists mm -hmm. and again that's not good enough and that you know as as as, as a nurse and i can guarantee 99 percent of, of other nurses before it's not good enough and that breaks our heart because we want to provide the best possible care but often we feel as though our hands are being tied with what we can offer i mean I, i'll tell you something one of one of one of the people that um that follows that, that follows me and follows my individual shows regularly she actually said to me that just talking and coming to my shows and watching me talk and listen to my uh, me talk was better for her than six months of privately paid for therapy. And, you know, I'll take that. And I also had an elderly gentleman come up to me outside Downing Street and say if he hadn't come to my shows and uh, heard my advocation and see what I was doing, he would have killed himself. You know, mm. I advocate talking. I think talking is the best medicine. I really do for mental health. It is the best medicine because when you get words out there that you've maybe held in, then you can start to work on things. But until you say it out loud, even to yourself, you know, until you yeah. say these things out loud, you can't begin to work on them as far as I'm concerned. And as someone who's been through, you know, we, we could almost ultimately be in a doctor patient situation. I've been on this side of it. You've been on that side of it. I think uh, you are hitting the nail on the head. Talking therapies work. They work. Yeah. And the power, the power, you know, you, you mentioned people coming here and listening to you, the power of people knowing they're not alone. Yeah. People in similar experiences, that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm not I'm not alone in this. He feels I'm the incredibly, same. She feels the same. I'm incredibly aware. I'm incredibly aware of um the fact that my words and my extremely loyal but small audience, but loyal the the words I have, you know, they listen to them and they have power, they have effect. Um, and and I, I have to be responsible with that. I have to be careful with that. And that's why I've always just tried to scream from the rooftops about the mental health crisis, and especially within the elderly, because I, I don't know if, if you'll agree with me here, but I think in the elderly, the, especially those who have been in care homes, through the roof, through the yeah. roof. I mean, some of the sites we've seen from care homes have been heart-wrenching, to say the mm -hmm. least. You know, mm -hmm. Standing at windows and and it's, standing crying basically. My I was I was I, my grandma that that is my mum's my maternal grandmother she's eighty four um and I was up when was I was out there I was up there probably just um before Christmas um when this Omicron variant started to to make the headlines and she looked at me and I get upset so I apologise. That's fine. Um, I've I've already shed tears throughout this. Don't worry. No, she just looked at me and, and her, she just looked at me in this fear in her face and her chin started to go. Yeah. And she just said, Matt, she went, Matt's son, she, she went, 
I can't do it. I can't do another lockdown. I can't do another lockdown. And that for me, I was like, fucking hell, that's, uh, what what do I say in that certain situation? And my grandmother, she's in tears. She's that fearful of going through another lockdown because she's been isolated for two years. She's, She's missed out on so much. And that, you know, that, whilst my, my views on the first lockdown I, I probably was for the lockdown but as it's progressed and I think seeing the parties has really changed my view on yeah. how we've been treated how we've been falsely led how we've been lied to um I, I, I was yeah. gonna say I think that the, the media are, are trash and I think that they are asking the wrong questions maybe by design I don't know but I think that the way that they are framing it is all wrong when it comes to these parties because you've got to remember Boris Johnson's the Dominic Cummings the Matt Hancock's these are the most selfish people in the country okay they care about number one and number one only they are out working for themselves. And in my view, we need to frame it in such a way as why didn't they think this was dangerous? Yeah. And and the other thing is when Omicron came out and was identified in South Africa, we were continually told by doctors there that it was of no consequence. Yeah. It was mild, it wasn't causing any problems. And yet in the West, almost every country in the West initially took the, oh, my God, it's going to kill us all. I mean, Chris Whitty literally went on TV and said, you know, we are hearing this stuff out of Africa, but ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. But they've had it for a month already, Chris. What are you talking about? I, I, I think that was probably in response because I, you know, for example, Boris Johnson missing the, the five COBA meetings at the very, very beginning of the yeah. pandemic. I think they were so fearful of potentially getting it wrong they went you know it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and i did see you know, the south african doctor i think discovered it saying it is a variant however it is less lethal she kept saying um, i'll do my best impression she'll go uh she, she kept going on tv and she's going it's extremely mild it's extremely mild we're not seeing anybody really dying if they do get symptoms they're just getting a cough or a cold yeah yeah. That was really impressive. I'm really impressed with that. I, I won't even try my accent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, I call myself the equal opportunities accent destroyer on this show. Spencer says in the chat here, he says, before I found Descent Media, so that's us, he said, I felt mentally like I was stumbling along a cliff of solitude. It was like a breath of fresh air to find that there were others who fought similar to me and were awake enough to also ask the same questions. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, to me, I've had many people say that whenever I go out and I because I go and film in the protests and when I go out and film in the protests, I'll have literally hundreds of people come up to me, give me a hug, say thank. And I understand that 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 means something. And and I, I, you know, I'm no more important than anybody else. Nobody's more. But but I, I understand that my words or my actions have had a consequence. So, you know, and there's a responsibility to that. There is. And I do take it seriously, guys. I really do. Yeah. What do you do? So Mm. let's um, let's address the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. The the vaccine came out in, what, December? December 2020. Yeah, 2020. Yeah. And it was rushed by any stretch of the imagination because we've never had a vaccine produced in such a short time. And the safety data, the trial data 
has been hidden at the moment and there are court cases going on to try and get it released. So the, the questions have to be is, how safe is the vaccine? Is it worth the risk? And why are the companies and, and, and uh, organisations like the FDA trying to keep the, the trial data hidden? Well, I know you're not in that sphere exactly, but have you any opinion on on what you think of this? Because you'll have seen these kind of things before. Yeah, I, th- I think in regards to the, the the vaccine, I'm you know I'm I'm happy to share that I am pro vaccine. Um, um, I think in terms of the safety measures, they they my understanding is um, they've gone through the same safety measures any normal vaccine would, but it, it has been incredibly quick. I think often pharmacological companies, when it comes to new medicine, um, there's a lot of money exchange involved. And I think often the barriers to medicines coming out is how much is paid, who's paying what, and where does it go sort of thing. Um, in terms of the FDA hiding so the information, I can't answer that. Um, but I'd like to think, you know, a lot of the independent advisors um, were recommending it was it was safe. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I've had my vaccines and, and there are risks, but the risk of any, any medicine you put in your body, any vaccine, mm-hmm. yeah. there is always a risk. There's always a risk. Um, and obviously we've seen myocarditis is obviously one, one sort of one that's. Uh, I mean, I, I will, I will interject here because we are not anti-vaxxers. We will get accused of being anti-vaxxers. Absolutely in no way, shape or form are we anti-vaxxers. Very mm-hmm. pro-choice. Think anybody should be able to. I, I'm. I. I think. Uh, and, and you might disagree with this as a member of the NHS. But I think not only do the government have a right to to uh, not to say what we have to have in our bodies, they, they also don't have a right to say what we can and can't put in our bodies. And I'm not a drug user, but I think if anybody's using recreational drugs, I don't think that the government has a right to say that they can't put those in their body. Now, I do think people should be more harshly punished if they commit a crime whilst on those recreational drugs because they've made a choice to do that but um i don't think any government or any state has any right to mandate or not what someone can or can't have in their body it's simple as that well i, I agree happens, it happens just now because if you take your car out and you're drunk you've got a recreational drug in your system and you're treated harshly yeah so there's no reason why it should be any different for doing anything else with any other drug I think, I mean, I, I agree with with you somewhat. I don't agree with the illicit substance issue because I think that the health implications on that person. I think the crime and, and what how that. I think there's a lot of crime and, and knock on effects. You know, how does that drug get in and people trafficking and drug. Oh trafficking yeah, but but, but but hear me out here. That in places like Amsterdam, when they legalised it, you know, you're cutting off the head of the snake of organised crime, so to, so to speak, because you're, you're you're then able to regulate it and sell it properly. Um, and and you're getting a tax, and you're getting a tax. So in Amsterdam, we saw crime go down. We saw it go down when they legalised. Crime went down in Portugal as well. Yeah. I think as a psychiatric nurse, I would not vouch for cannabis. I've seen. I've seen. I don't use it. (laughs) But 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 then at the same time, just because we don't vouch for the drug itself, I I just I'm so. You could call me a hippie, I don't know. But I I am so pro-choice when it comes to your own body. I don't think a single human being or a state on this planet has a right to tell you what you can and cannot put in your own body. It's your body. 
I think, I, the, I, I think the word you're looking for is libertarian. Oh, I'm, I'm an extreme libertarian, baby. I really am. <laughs> I agree with you to the point of mandating vaccines. I, I do agree with you on that point. And obviously, we saw there's been a recent another Tory U-turn in terms of what they're implementing. Yeah. Um, it's the not really a mandate. U-turn, though, is it? They've just sort of hidden it into redeployment. So, the, the, so they 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 have U-turned, but they're 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 recommending that they write into contracts that you have to have well, it. I, I don't think they quite said that. What they said was they recommended that each trust reviewed the requirements for their posts. So I mean, quite go as far as to say, you know, that you need to have it if you get redeployed. But obviously, the intent is possibly that they try and word things so as that they'll come round to it. But the NHS has been it's been notoriously good at deciding whether it wants a vaccine or not. For instance, the flu vaccine has always been strongly recommended, mm. and yet NHS uptake is only about 50%. Yeah, that's right. And, and we've got to remember, you know, this isn't sort of mandated vaccines to become a nurse is, isn't new. I mean, we have to have hep Bs. We have to have evidence of hep B injections. Too. I was, was going to say, but are you also not allowed, uh, I, I have been reading this, but are you not also allowed to show if you have antibodies before having the injection? I believe you can, if you can produce evidence of hep B antibodies, you don't have to have the injection. I mean, I, I, I'm not aware of that. I mean, I've, you know, I, I'm not aware of, I, I can't answer in that, but, you know, but to, to implement the, you know, the vaccine as a mandate was I, I, you know, I, I'm very pro-choice and very body autonomy. You know, as long as somebody has the clear and accurate the, facts. Yeah. The, the thing that gets me, though, is the people that have been subjected to, to undue pressure to try and get that vaccine because they want to keep their job. And then they've caved, you know, maybe two weeks ago. And then the government does its U-turn. How do those people reconcile what's happened to them with, with, you know, what hasn't happened to someone who's held on for an extra two weeks? Yeah, and that's 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 I'm I'm you know I'm I had my vaccines, but I'm very angry for those people that have yeah. been sort of forced or blackmailed into keeping their jobs to have the. the and the, the thing is. Of, there, there is risk. There's, there's like as you said, there is risk with absolutely every medication. And what, what does my head in when it comes to this is all of these quote unquote TV doctors just telling everybody it's perfectly safe, right? Be honest with people. Say there yeah. are risks. Tell them what the risks are, and say we've got this. This is it. Does this or it doesn't do this? Here's a list of the risks. Uh, it's up to you guys, right? Yeah. But they didn't do that. And they're not doing that. And and it, it it comes down to people like us to start reading things like the yellow card reports to see what is actually going on. And as we know, they are notoriously uh, underreported. They are. They're not, it's not just, I, I believe in the US, the their system is about 1% to 10% of reports are, uh, well, one to, the reports are 1% to 10% of what's actually occurring. I couldn't tell you what the, what the levels are here in the UK, but... Um, I, I I just I feel that I feel that they've gone about it the wrong way. It's just been pressure, coercion, fear, and it's not just to do with the vaccines. It seems to be a cycle of, of pressure, coercion, and fear. Pressure, coercion, and fear, and then confusion. They added confusion into the mixture. Who remembers the tier system? Who remembers that? Jesus Christ! 
Uh, and that's just another snap to keep you controlled, yeah. isn't it? Because it men mentally, if you can keep people scared and confused, they're very malleable. They'll do what uh, yeah. you want them to do. That's a good question coming up in the chat that I was actually just thinking about. Are you a football fan, Matt? I am indeed, yes, I am indeed. So, I I'm going me... to step back here. <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about all these people that are suffering incidents on the field and in the stands. I don't remember this happening. I mean, I mean, again, we don't know the medical background to these individuals, no, um, no. people that are parts of the way in, in, in the stands. Um, potentially, there is a bit more. I mean, I've yeah, I, I suppose I, I can agree. I've, I've you know, recently at, at Fulham, wasn't there? There was a gentleman that passed. There was yeah, there was three there was three medical events on that same day. Uh, oh, three really? matches were, were paused. In every league, yeah. There was a medical event in every league. Yeah. I wasn't aware it was that much, but yeah, yes. I think there's. Again, I think it's very quick to assume it's potentially the vaccine, but like I said, we don't know the medical background. We don't know anything about the individuals that have passed away. See, my um, point here is we've never seen this happening before, and we keep getting told this is normal, we, right? It's we, not normal. Exclude, exclude people on the stands because we've no, we've no knowledge of what age or whatever they are. But when you're looking at what's happening on the field, these are all young, fit, healthy men. Yeah. I mean, a bit... Yeah, a bit a lot of them are having events. They can't, they can't, but obviously you, you may well remember Fabrice Mwamba, you know, all those many years yeah. ago at White Hart Lane. I mean, you know, that was obviously pre-COVID and, and, and mm -hmm. you know, he survived. And obviously more recently Christian Eriksen. It's fantastic, actually, just to see him return to, to the Premier League, actually. I'm really pleased to see him back. Um, but again, I, I, it's very, I think it's very, it's very see, easy to assume it's potentially linked to the vaccines. But I I, I've it. never said to people, right? I, I've always said to people on no, this it, situation, I can't say it's the vaccine. I can't say it's the vaccine. I won't say it's the vaccine. Well, we can't. Well, we can't. No. But what no. I will say is that, in my view, in my personal opinion, we have not seen. Uh, events like this stopping matches in years past, especially on the scale that we're seeing it now. And we're getting told it's normal. And until we can even admit that something is actually happening, we can't look into the cause of it and we can't find a cause of it. And this is my issue is still as a society, uh, we're being told oh, it's perfectly normal. It's absolutely fine. And we're sitting here going, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But yeah. even if it isn't the vaccine, wouldn't we rather just have the adult conversation and say, look, this isn't normal. This is this this doesn't happen on the scale it's happening before. Let's find out what's happening. Instead, we keep getting articles out in the mainstream media. Climate change can cause heart attacks. Uh, this can cause heart attacks. Uh, you're, put, what was the latest one? Putting your clocks forward an hour can cause you a heart attack. <laughs> Right, that's what we get. Most <laughs> energy drinks can cause heart attack. <laughs> but we've got to we've got to get to a point where we can. I I think that I don't know. Maybe we maybe it's fear. Maybe we've gone down. We we've gone so far down the fear rabbit hole that um that we can't even have the honest conversation that something is yeah, happening. We can't talk about it because. The the manager of Sunderland expressed an opinion that he thought the vaccine might have had something to do with his goalkeeper's problems. And a week later, he was fired. Now, 
that that team I understand, and I, I don't follow football, but that team's third in the league. That's correct. So yes, not doing bad. I think I think that was my grandma's a Sunderland fan. I've, all Mackhams are Geordies up north, you see. So it's Newcastle, yeah. Sunderland. But yeah, I think that was in the back of a six-nil yeah. defeat to Bolton today. I think it's the nature of that defeat, but very unusual to be, you know, top three in the table and be dismissed. I think, yeah, I think it just just it's not normal for a, an athlete at the top of their game, sort of late twenties, early thirties, to have a cardiac arrest. It's not normal. That's a fact. That's a fact. But it's very difficult for me to to no, you know, again as a nurse. It's we won't ascribe cause. We won't ascribe cause. And and we we we're, we're not doctors. We're not scientists. We're not nurses. But we are people who look at what's going on in the world and talk about it. That's that's what we are. Yeah. And we are noticing things that are happening that weren't happening before. Now, we, we won't describe the cause at all. But what we will that's, say is... Correlation does not prove causation. You know, but it's worth investigation. It's worth investigation. It's, it's worth yeah. getting to a point in society where we have that adult conversation and say, this shit not normal. What's causing this? But we're not doing it. No, no we're, we're, we're sweeping it under the carpet. Yeah. That's what we'll do. Yeah. And why is that? Is that because the government... Uh, I'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole here, maybe, but the government maybe fear that, that it is the vaccine and they've spent a year and a bit on TV telling everybody it's perfectly safe and go and get it. And maybe they're afraid if it is that, they're going to go, well, we we told everybody to go and get this. Yeah, so follow the money. Potentially, potentially. I, I, you know, you'd like you like people to be open and honest and transparent, and I think that's one thing this government has has not done, which will inevitably yeah. it's it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna provoke suspicion, isn't it? When somebody's not being completely open and honest, you're gonna get suspicious. Well, why aren't you being honest? <laughs> it's... And are you not gonna fuel anti-vaccine sentiment? I, it, it's, yeah. it's going to be yeah. the complete opposite to you know you can go on tv and denigrate what what you call anti-vaxxers but if if you are if if you are not even engaging in in honest and adult conversation about this and and trying to uh, uh, i guess allay their fears and you're just mm. saying to them shut up it's perfectly safe go and get it they're going to go uh well we don't like government and, uh... <laughs> and, and that's exactly what's happening because because of the way the government's treating this vaccine and, and pushing, pushing, pushing for, for let's face it, a disease that now has an IFR of less than the flu, right? But they're still pushing, 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 you know, get your booster, get your jab. People are now turning around and saying, well, I'm not sure about any vaccine because... Oh, yeah, I have seen that. MMR uptakes are at the lowest yeah. they've ever been in this country. And measles and all that. Their uptake is as low than it's ever been. Yeah, it's true. So the, the government's now got to the point where they're creating anti-vaxxers. They're creating anti-vaxxers. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, I'm going. I'm just going to tell you now. I don't even know what that phrase means anymore. Anti-vaxxer. It used to have a, a very specific meaning, but now it just seems to be anybody who asks questions. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's 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 lost all its meaning. It's so diluted that I even shudder to use the phrase, to be honest, because it does it it doesn't mean anything anymore. And, and that's an issue in itself. Words are supposed yeah. to have meaning, but when you keep labeling and labeling and labeling people things that they're not, I don't care if you go have ten vaccines put in your bloody eyeball. It's your body, you know. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, but. Um, <laughs> 
but 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 just for asking that question, they'll go, "You're an anti-vaxxer." No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And also, you know, I I, I get asked this question all of the time. You know, wouldn't you want to, as a disabled person, wouldn't you want to see that that, that people around you say, "I don't give two shits." I really don't, mm. right? I, as as far as I'm concerned, what medications or vaccines or whatever you've got in your body, none of my damn business, right? See, this is this is the other thing that I don't understand. It's when did you ever take a vaccine to protect someone else? Well, that's a very good question. That's not what we were ever sold them for, anyway. <laughs> is I mean, it? Would you, would you, is it? Is I it to protect you, somebody else? No, is that that's that's what they tell us, but. You know, every other time when you go and get a vaccine, whether you're going to Hong Kong and you need a yellow fever vaccine or whatever, it's to protect you. Yeah. Right? And nobody really gives a shit whether you've got it or not because it's up to you whether you want to take it or not. And if you catch yellow fever, the death rate is 50%. You know, I, so it's probably... I mean, you, you've told to us you've had your vaccines. You've told <laughs> us you had your vaccines, right? Yeah. But... Uh, if if I if I would if I would to if you hadn't have told us that at this point and I said to you have you had your vaccines, uh, my my preferred answer from you would have been have none of your business. Your business, yeah. None of your business because <laughs> I wouldn't have asked. Well, no, no, I wouldn't have asked either because it's it's it is it's none of anybody else's business, and it's I not... just find vaccine passports the most abhorrent abhorrent thing on this planet i'm allergic to them i'm i i i, I oh. <laughs> it's, a license. It is. it's a movement license it's exactly what it is yeah because yeah. even even all the countries that are dropping their internal vaccine pardon me passports aren't dropping them for travel no that's why, true. Why, why do we need them for travel when Every country's got it. I mean, let's face it, it's endemic across the world now, right? Mm -hmm. There's no longer a pandemic. Every country's got it, so nobody's going to bring it from one to the other. If you do bring a variant, it's almost invariably going to be more transmissible but less effective because it's, you know, that's how viruses work. That's how respiratory viruses specifically yeah. work. Usually they mutate to become less deadly because, you know, they are a living organism. And yeah. if you keep killing your host, that's not really very good for your uh, long-term survival, is it? So, so really, there's no reason. Now, the other thing is there, there was a guy on Twitter today said, I'm a lorry driver and I travel between the UK and Europe and I'm not vaccinated I don't get asked about my vaccine status and I can travel freely on the ferries and the tunnel or whatever. Well, I, when I, 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 I drove to France in October to see John. I drove yes. to John's. Your, 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 your status is not the same as the lorry driver. He's on that unvaccinated, doesn't require to quarantine, doesn't require to prove anything, right? Mm. He, he just travels between... Oh no! My status was my status was very, very, very poor staff at Eurotunnel. So drive up the Eurotunnel, yeah. and they just go, "You all double jabbed in the car," and we just went, "Yeah," and they said, "Enjoy your holiday," and let us drive through. <laughs> but it's it's none yeah. of ultimately it was none of their business, and uh, whether or not I was telling the truth is uh, is up for debate. 
let's put well, it that way. Before before we did come on, we had a sort of a, come on live. We did have a brief discussion about sort of my mum and being in Spain and, and Tanzania and stuff, yeah, and yeah. how you know that this my mum we caught COVID over over Christmas, so she missed the flight back to Spain and a complete panic, you know, because she had a, a connection flight to Tanzania where she currently right. is. But she wasn't asked to provide any evidence, you know, going through the UK. No. Spain, Spain were a little bit stricter, and they was asked to see evidence. But the UK just there wasn't wasn't any sort of well, well, scrutiny. It, it was the same. Um, in August two thousand and twenty, I flew to France. Um, there was no vaccine passports or anything like that at that time. But there was the passenger locator form and the uh, you know, the the. <laughs> <laughs> I, what is what is a passenger locator? My mom had to complete one. Right, Wait, so you, you fill it out and uh, it's it's linked to a government system and it's so that they can check on you to make sure you're doing a quarantine So right. uh, when when you arrive in the country. And uh, they're supposed to check it at, at the border and make sure it's all legit. So I flew back into the UK and I just went to the E-Gates. The donors. That's it. Nothing. Nothing. I, I, just, I, I just went to the E-Gates. I came back <laughs> just... in, in August 2020. And I rolled up, I came off the ferry in, in Hull and I rolled up to the, the English um, border, basically. And the guy goes, have you done your passenger locator form? And I said, I thought I had 48 hours to do it once I arrived back. And he said, no, you had to do it 48 hours before you travelled. Now remember, I'm sitting at this kiosk with a queue of cars behind me, all fresh off the ferry, and he and he looks at his mate, and he's like, and I goes, well, and he goes, will you do it going up the road? And I goes, of course I will. <laughs> so there was a second time, October 2020, and there was a requirement to isolate coming back from France at that time, and I was with two friends and we were we were at disneyland actually and um my two friends were going oh we have to fill it out we have to fill it out when we're in a car why don't we just say we were in germany we don't have to isolate coming back from there and they were like no we don't want to do that we don't want to do that and i said right do what you've got to do and i just didn't fill one out just didn't fill one out right and i said if we get to the border i'll essentially do what what john said he did and we rolled up to uh, to Calais, and you do the border that side there for the Eurotunnel. And so we rolled up to Calais. They didn't even ask. <sighs> rolled on through. Just yeah. rolled on through. And there was a requirement. They were amber. So remember when there was, they were amber list. There was a requirement to isolate, and they didn't even ask. Question, question from Matt from the chat room. Do you think the psychologists and the behavioral insights team is having a positive effect on mental and physical health. Remind me, I need to know what, what's the behavioural insights team. Uh, so, so the behavioural insights team uh, are the people that, uh, the, the psychologists and psychiatrists on Sage that basically created the state of fear and the rules. Hmm. Well, again, I, I think it's been raised quite a few times as compliance through fear. I think mm -hmm. that's a number of factors. And I think, you know, we've, we've spoken about having adult conversation and educating people rather than mandating something. Um, I do think honest, open conversations is always going to be better um, for anybody's mental health. I think it, it, it improves trust. It improves that relationship between between people. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree. And that's why 
I do what I do and we do what we do because conversation, I think, is is the way we make the world go forward. Yeah, and it's okay. In terms of conversations, it's okay to disagree with one another. Sometimes I welcome being challenged on some of my views yeah, it actually no, makes me I, feel... I love it i love yeah. it i love it i love an open honest hearty uh, and respectful debate i love it i absolutely so, love it so um, i think agrees he says the side effects of this whole covid situation is an absolute breakdown in trust in pillars of society police yeah. political process all mainstream media what little trust there was in pharma, the scientific process, the medical establishment, etc. And and I think um, actually speaking about the medical establishment and not your field, Matt, but GPs haven't really come out of this terribly well because uh, I don't even know if you can. Well, my GP just unlisted me without telling me. He just basically took me off the list. You did leave the country, though, John. Yes, he didn't know that. You do live in France now, John. Even before that, I couldn't get an appointment. Um, I think that does seem to be the common thread. Getting a face-to-face appointment with a GP has has been an absolute nightmare. And yet, GPs were always the primary point of contact for people, always. Yeah, and I think that's the knock-on effect of GPs sort of reducing face-to-face contacts. I do understand they've had more appointments, albeit over the phone, um, yeah. which, again, how effective can you do a GP You can't diagnose a cancer over the phone, can you, Matt? No. Let's no, face but, it, you can't. But I think in terms of the, the impact on the National Health Service, people that would usually go to the GP um, are being advised to maybe attend... A&E or you know go to the local hospital so that's has an impact on the services and what they're able to provide I think it works the other way and particularly in psychiatric services where the route we do try to transfer safely back to GPs but they've been maybe a little bit reluctant to accept sort of maybe potentially risky patients and that creates capacity issues for us because we we've got too many patients it's very difficult to accept new ones so yeah I know it's been a, a I know it has been a a real issue. Then I've got colleagues actually that, well, yes, it, sometimes it feels a little bit disloyal for me to not support or advocate for a different health sort of service in the healthcare, you know, the National Health Service. But mm-hmm. but I do think that the GPs, and just quickly, John, before the, before you met, went on to GPs, what that, that, that comment that that listener made, I completely and utterly agree wholeheartedly with, with every, everything that he said. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got the nail on the head for that comment. Yeah. He actually works with, he works with and for the NHS himself, this person. Oh, he says here, I'm a trained scientist. I did the hard science subjects at A-level, physics, biology, chemistry. I did the hard science at university, bio, biochemistry, molecular genetics. I did the research science afterwards, trained in the evidence-based scientific method, hypothesis generation, testing, and evidence-based science. I've always been a bullshit, rebellious bugger, though, Cynical of mainstream media and politics, but I've always been an intellectual scientist using the Socratic method. This COVID situation has destroyed my whole belief in scientific methods. I don't think it should destroy your belief in scientific method. I think it should maybe destroy your belief in the scientific community. Well, in in my view, I I mean, nobody has to agree with me here, but I think... um, the mainstream scientific community uh, at the moment uh, gives the results that their paymasters want them to give. So, 90% of scientists agree with who's making the money. Well, sorry, agree with whoever's paying them. 
well well this is it and and i think for, not, not just for scientists it's media it's everything the money talks and the money uh often brings them to a conclusion that they may not otherwise have come to but they wouldn't have had the money to get to any conclusion if they hadn't done what they'd done i i, I think basically uh, money corrupts obviously and i think there's been a lot of corruption uh i think the sage scientists are a disgrace i think they're an absolute disgrace and i think some of them themselves are now coming out and writing articles in the papers saying what we did to people uh was unethical and disgraceful um i i think that uh chris witty himself he's got something to answer for when it comes to what he did in december when it comes to the omicron since uh since uh, the south african scientists uh please have come true He's gone very silent, hasn't he? He's gone very, very silent. We're not here. He's gone missing, hasn't he? I don't yeah. know where he's gone. He's gone MIA, isn't he? They've Did both gone. Witty, witty and balance. Yeah. Just off the I do think in, in five and ten and fifteen years there's gonna be a lot more coming out in regards to what's occurred over the last couple of years. And I think it's you know it's gonna be causing some some outrage because I think people will not be in the positions they're currently in and maybe feel safer to share what's what's occurred and, and their so opinions can I, of I, I ask a personal question um and don't have to answer you do not have to answer this but were you a supporter of the nhs 100k movement i wasn't no you weren't and why were you not for me for me whilst whilst i supported um um you know the not mandating of vaccines because i think it was a kamikaze um policy for the national health service has been already a hundred thousand um short i think it would would have destroyed anything we've had it was unsafe for patient care yep it felt really it for me it, I've, I've, I've had friends that attended it felt it, it felt really unusual sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with some of the people that would have been on that that march i was um, i was there um i was yeah. there i was in the crowd i covered the whole thing live from start to finish um i i i will say it was it was it was electric the yeah. you know some of the some of the some of the statements that were made in the way that they were made the uniforms left at downing street the uniforms left in trafalgar it hit me here and mm. i i spoke to many doctors nurses uh consultants even on that march um who who were um they they just had enough. And w when you say stand shoulder to shoulder with some of the people that were on that march, I've been on many of these marches, okay? And I've mm. covered dozens of them. And what the media portray as the people on those marches usually aren't the people on those marches. There's people from every background, race, religion, age. Um, there are people that, that say, you know, have the crazy out there conspiracy theories and stuff like that, but they're definitely not the majority and they definitely don't represent the group. Uh, each individual there represents themselves. Each individual yeah. is, is there for their own cause. But, you know, I've seen the BBC and the like just lie and lie and lie about these marches when I have live streamed them for five or six hours at a time proving that yeah. then they're not what what they say they are so i i do kind of take a little bit of issue with you saying that because whilst i i think you probably have your information from the mainstream media in this regard um say the way that those people and like i say for the most part they are people who have lost their businesses they've lost their homes uh they, they've lost everything they are people just standing for freedom um mm -hmm. 
the way they've been portrayed is just wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah. Let me just elaborate when I when I mentioned shoulder to shoulder and, and it wasn't the mainstream media. It, it was, and I won't mention the, the Twitter. It is, he's a verified Twitter account. Only a few months he was on this march. Only a few months he was accusing NHS staff of being complicit yeah. in all of this. And then he stood in the march. And I felt whilst, again, whilst I agreed with the intention to march and I agreed with the message, I, I found that quite unusual to be standing next to somebody that only six months ago was potentially calling me complicit in murdering people. Yeah. I also, um, um, I do know of an incident where, and I know you, you're very you're correct in saying that one person is doesn't, doesn't share the same views as everybody on that march, but there was an incident that a friend witnessed where somebody was on the march was shouting and verbally abusing somebody for wearing a mask. And that's something I don't agree with because it's pro-choice. And I know mm-hmm. I shouldn't paint everybody with the same brush, but that's what I meant by sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with, with somebody that potentially sort of six months ago would have been sort of really against me. Um, I mean, personally, personally speaking, um, I, I, I did, I, during the first lockdown, I did work which uh, put me inside a large South Coast NHS hospital five nights a week, right? And it was empty. And I, what what angered me, and I mean it was it was the emptiest I'd ever seen it. I, I would sometimes be in the back uh, car park of this uh, hospital outside the psychiatric ward with up to 150, 200 staff standing around doing nothing because they had nothing to do. And that was because departments were closed. Whole departments were closed down. Wards were closed down. And what 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 kind of upset and angered me is they'd have these conversations with me, and they'd say, "We've been told to bring in books and board games from home." I'm being serious because some of them had nothing to do. They should have told the papers that. They should have. They should. I. I. I that silence is what really upsets me because that silence uh, inadvertently. I think has 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 caused some harm. Now I'm I'm I I think they were scared. I think they were scared. I had a similar experience. You know, nurses that were friends told us that they were working in the COVID ward in Glasgow's biggest hospital. Okay, but what they did was the COVID ward at that point. They basically took the whole floor and they sealed the floor off. The only people that could get in and out were the people that worked in that ward. So none of the rest of the staff were able to give any real indication of what went on there. And and she was saying that they were lucky if they had two or three patients. She was bored and she spent that long being bored. And this was like March, April, May of 2020. I mean, I was in the hospital. I was there. She, she eventually asked for a transfer out because she had no work to do. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's my experiences, as I mentioned, I've spoken to nurses that have worked in those wards and I know that they were really, yeah. really busy. So it's, it's the listeners, are, you know, are, the listeners, it's, it's who do we believe? And you know, I, 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 I don't say believe or disbelieve anybody because I can't speak to the experience of the COVID ward. I can only speak to the experience of the rest of the hospital and the rest of the hospital was empty. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes it was inaccurate because you've got people walking onto the wards and outpatient clinics but were closed and yeah. sort of doing videos saying the hospitals are empty. And that was, it was, it was, it was you know, giving the wrong message out because it wasn't yeah. the COVID ward where the majority of the patients were. So. You also have to remember that some hospitals may well have been overflowing. Yeah. But, you know, and others could be quiet. So it, it always depends on, 
on where you are. And each, yeah. each individual hospital has a different experience from every other. They're not all identical. Yeah. No, no, my my local agree. hospital, they're, they're, you know, I, I, I do know from my local hospital, speaking to colleagues, that there was theatres being opened up. They had a they designated COVID ward, but there were three, two or three theatres being opened up in the height of things to treat patients. So, again, again I think it's, you know, it's who do, who do who, who, you know, we all have our own experiences and they all. And this is why I said lot. to you right at the beginning, we want to speak on a human level because we can only speak yeah. to our own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you can't and don't speak for the NHS, but I can tell you mm. what I saw and where I was, and you can tell me what you saw and where you were. And it's not about who to believe, because these are our experiences. Mm, mm, mm. Well, there we go. <laughs> You're right there, John. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but... Anything else you want to cover? Yeah. The... No, I, I just, um, I, I think, like like I said, um, let's go back to the beginning for a minute and, and talk about the tsunami of mental health that's incoming. And, you know, it's going to keep you busy. It really is. And I, 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 I don't say that without any sense of irony. It's going to keep you very busy. And I think it could have been avoided. I really do. Yes, I agree that we are going to... We we are unfortunately um, very busy. There are a lot of you know people. I mean, referrals have gone up three hundred percent in some of the areas. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, because we are getting so many referrals, you know, the threshold to accept patients into some of the psychiatric services is is, is having to increase. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't doubt it. And because you're yeah. also having beds cut. And it's not just you in mental health that's having beds cut. The NHS keeps having beds cut. And we can go back to what you said earlier on. It makes no sense with an increasing population, but we're doing it. And uh, well, it only makes sense if less people are ill. Well, yeah. 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 And if that's not the case, then cutting beds doesn't help. But the thing is, it's also, like I say, we can't we can't look at the 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 people within the NHS as the NHS and Decisions are being made based upon uh, budgets, but then I think budgets in in many places are being frivolously frittered away. Sorry, I spoke to an executive in my trust who said they gave the the renovation of a wall to the to the highest bidder, not the lowest bidder, because they mm. have to spend the funds, they have to spend the budgets, and I just think that money could be better allocated. And I I genuinely believe a billion pounds every three days, you can do some serious stuff with that. And they just, it's middle management. We need to gut the middle management completely out of the NHS. Just rip it out of there because you're going to save loads of money there. I mean, you... diversity managers. Well, but the thing is, so Matt's got a manager who's got a manager who's probably got two managers who's probably got another manager. And then they get through to the secretary of the, the, the executives of the trust. Secretary's probably got a manager. Then we've got the executive. And that seems to be the way it's structured. I mean, I speak to a person, I've got a friend, we're on a holiday uh, recently with actually, who works in admin in the NHS, and she said she doesn't even know who her, who her top manager is because she's got three or four managers above her before you get to that manager. And it's yeah. just money so but, fucking frivolously frittered yeah. away. On back to the beds thing, though. When you look at the NHS and compare it to our European counterparts, the bed-to-population ratio is 
really low in the NHS compared to France, Germany, even mm. Spain, Italy. They've got much more beds per population, and yet they have a lower general incidence of ill health yeah. and, and they, cardiac problems. And the, the, the number of nurses per patient is probably, it's probably four times what we have in the likes of sort of Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the, I, I, I do worry about the future of the National Health Service. Um, I, I do think it's, yeah, over the last 10 years, the amount of fun, you know, staff that we've lost, um, I don't want to bore you with pay and, and all, all of that because, um, but yeah, the National Health Service, I think it's, it's I think it's going to be privatised. I genuinely think it will be privatised. I think it's been on the, on the route to full privatisation yep. since Tony Blair and PFI, to be honest. Um, uh, and, and I'm not, not going to say I'm not going to lie. Some... Tony Blair was the most conservative. <laughs> he, really, he really was. He really was. But I'm I'm not going to lie. Sometimes uh, having those those private companies step in and offer some of those services has actually been beneficial to me as a disabled person, where I've been able to get a scan quicker because that private company is able to provide it with NHS yeah. funding. Okay, things like that are absolutely beneficial, but I, I, I agree with you. I feel we are we are being pushed to full privatisation by people who want it privatised, yeah. who have the fucking goal, excuse my language, to put protect the NHS, save lives on slogans when they know they are yeah. doing everything they can to push to sell mm. it off. Yeah. I, I, I hate to tell you, Matt, if it gets privatised, your wages aren't going to go up. No, absolutely not. We're not. We're under no illusion about that. And I think yeah. you know, we're being currently at the NHS, we're being gaslit by, by a lot of these you know, ministers. We're being you know, portraying and it goes back to the media where it's a failing yeah. system. Let's break the National Health Service, um, rule it unfit for purpose, let's sell it to the highest bidder. I yeah, think I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all in agreement there. I, I, I think it's by design. It's been done on purpose. Mm. And, and it just comes down to this thing with the budgets once again. They have just... I can't understand why and how they spend a lot of the money the way they do. It just doesn't make any sense unless you're just trying to break the system. Oh, I think I think they are. Yeah. Mm. Then you look at then you you look at um you look at our friend in the north. Oh what uh, the bastard son of Elton John. Yeah. And, that's and, that's and, Nicholas Sturgeon to everybody else. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Wales. So you look at that pair and they blame Westminster for the prob their health problems when health is a fully devolved issue. Yeah. Yes. You know, so how can they blame Westminster for their health issues? Uh, so, uh, they don't give us any money, John. Why? They don't give us any money. They fucking devolved. Yes. And I'll be honest. I've always said Scotland gets an exceptional deal out of the union. Mm. Because every council gets way more than a than their equivalent English council. And just to note as well, the Scots, the Scottish nurses and Welsh nurses both got a bonus, you know, a bit of a bonus, and the, the English nurses didn't. We didn't get any anything. Um, so you know, it, it is a different health. It's how it's set up. It's no, it's, yeah, but I don't think it's any better. No, I think that's the problem. I think it's still run badly and financially mismanaged yeah I, I but 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 going back to what we were just speaking about john that's by design i believe it's by yeah. design i believe they are financially mismanaging it to break the break the system 
um because then they can sell it off say so, sorry guys sorry sorry guys we 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 couldn't do anything else sir. we got we got no choice here um <laughs> it's it's so transparent and it's so clear and honestly i don't think old keith over in labor would do anything differently i, I don't mm. i think that agenda's been rolling rolling on since new labor and it's just it's coming it's, to a point now where it is just going to crash and burn. And it's... It's the same, it's, it's the same arse, just a different cheek. Yep, yeah. two cheeks of the same arse. I don't trust any of them. I really don't. I don't trust any of them. No, I don't. I, I do, you know, I do agree with, with... I think the National Health Service is not safe with anybody at the minute. I think we have to be quite honest, and it, it is potentially a multi-billion pound business isn't it you know healthcare if we look oh, absolutely at like America. i say it is funded right now to the tune of one billion pounds every three days that's what what yeah. you guys get in funding 212 it... billion it got in 2021 wow that's a lot of money, much money. and, and mm. uh you can just see can't you you can just see the american uh the american pharmaceuticals and uh <laughs> well exactly john <laughs> they are salivating they are chomping at the bit they yeah. are ready to pounce and strike and like i said some of the some of the services being privatized it, it can only be a good thing because it, it, it helps move patients off waiting lists quicker it does right we have to be honest here like i said i managed to get a scan i managed to get an ultrasound scan um which would normally be what a three or four week wait at, at, at least uh, Lucky, yeah. maybe more uh, i got it the next day because they put me through to a private private company that were working and with the NHS inside an NHS GP surgery, but they were able to provide me that scan. Can't fault it, but it still needs to be, if, if you know, it still needs to be free at the point of use. It still needs to be there for everybody, even for the most uh, basic healthcare. It's got to be there. And Spencer says in the chat, you know, it's the insurance companies also that are salivating and they're chomping at the bit and they're ready to create your, you know, American style insurance package. And, and it's true. Yeah. Mm. It's just money, 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 and it is, it is, it is the fifth biggest yeah, employer on the planet. The yeah. same thing happens in, in France. It's a, it's a hybrid system. You know, you've got a certain level of care that's provided, and then you have top up insurance. You you take out top up insurance because if you were hospitalised, you would end up with a big bill. Mm. So you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor. You have to pay twenty five euros for a visit to the doctor. Now you can claim that back. Um, but then you have different levels of care. And at the moment, we were paying a hundred and a hundred and seventy euros a month. Yeah, top up our health insurance just in case something happened. But was it worth it? Because I know when you went to the doctor, because you told no. me several times. Oh, but oh, you oh, told me several times when you went to the doctor, they were actually yeah. helpful. Well, they, they, they they do they do. They do put you. They they do kind of spend more time with you, yeah, and they do measure you, all in all ways. I mean, she even took my weight height. Well, she didn't take my height again, but she took my weight. Told me I'd put weight on, and then she tried to give me nutritional advice that came from the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's, that's one thing that the NHS is not good at, is giving people nutritional advice. No, no, not yeah. at all. And France doesn't either. No, not at all. Um, I, I've loved this conversation. I have. Um, and, and I I, I, I think it's, it's been... as fiery as you thought. 
Well, no, I'm glad it wasn't fiery because as we can go right back to, you know, talking to human beings on human levels and having human conversations. And if there are things that we disagree on, talking them out, being respectful. Yeah, you can call me an arsehole or, or whatever. I don't really care. People can do You're that. <laughs> yes, yes, John, John, you're not allowed. <laughs> Did I see that out loud? I've enjoyed the conversation. Again, I, you know, I welcome, I welcome discussions with different views, and that's, that is healthy as long as it's done respectfully, like you said. It, it's... Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I will always welcome anybody who wants to have a conversation because that, we, don't, we don't move forward at all without conversation. And with that, John, mm. over to you. So we're going to end up. Well, um, I don't close after dark. This you, year. you do tonight. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Matt, for appearing on episode ten of After Dark. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Uh, no, you're very. Uh, it was. It's that. so different. It's so different to actually because normally we have a guest on and then we run through John's list and we laugh at the news and we take the mick out of it, but to actually have this conversation and get into things like that. We need more of this. We really do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got we've got some big guests coming. So Spencer says, uh, please thank Matt from me. He's done brilliantly putting up with you two tinfoil hat nutters. <laughs> Seriously, though, his answers have oh, been great, and it's been oh, wonderful oh, to have somebody on with a different opinion. Hold on, Spencer. <laughs> this man Look, takes me for coffee, by the way, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> All the March 2020 conspiracy theories have come true. Oh, my God, yeah. No well, well, except for the Bill Gates stuff, John, right? Yeah. Uh, even I'm not down that rabbit hole, for God's sake. And we're, we're, and we're operating on 5G right now. I find it very convenient, I must say. <laughs> I find it very convenient. What was the Bill Gates stuff? What was he meant to Oh, he's, he's wanting to inject microchips into us that's to control it, yeah, us. Or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest, guys. Bill Gates is a bloody arsehole. Let's yeah. not, let's not say he's innocent in anything. But they keep he... bringing this up. The the Sweden microchip thing. Now, they started that in 2016. Yeah, because yeah. they wanted to open yeah. doors, didn't they, with their RFID chips? There's only 6,000 people got microchips out of the population of 11 million, so it's not exactly <laughs> popular, you know? And uh, when it comes to vaccines, uh, before, before I let John close the show off, uh, I, I will say to you guys what I always say. You need to do your research. You need to decide what is or is not good for you. And you need to make your own decisions. And then ultimately, it's nobody else's business. If anybody asks you, it's none of your business. It's as simple as that. It's your body. That's my view. And, and I don't think that's a contentious view. I really don't. No, well, it, I think, shouldn't, it shouldn't be. I, I certainly share that view as well as, as a healthcare professional. As long as somebody's got the factual information in front of them, they're able to make a capacitor's decision as, as to what they will do, then that's fine. And often, you, you know, they, they, you hear people say in the NHS who refuse patients that refuse to have the vaccine. I completely stand against that. So do I. I, I mean, we, we, we saw a video earlier on uh, that broke my heart, actually, before I let you go. It was a, a mother in a hospital, her child, 50-50 uh, chance of survival, and they removed her from the ward because she wasn't vaccinated. How can anyone do that? And it was on live. It was on live. It was on video, and uh, people did come down, and people did help, and she was able to be reunited with her was child. It this country? Yes, this was this country. This was today. This was today. West, West, West I can I can send you the video. I, I, after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the woman was absolutely distraught, and it was sorted, but it should never have happened. It should never have happened. No, no. 
um uh, and like like i said it's nobody else's business not well the, the only business i believe that the only people who have a right to know whether or not you've had some kind of medical intervention are you and the healthcare provider giving that medical inter- intervention mm, mm. that is it um mm. and we've turned into i'm sorry to keep going but we've turned into such a nasty population <laughs> and people are trying to divide each other down the fucking middle yeah. are you vaccinated are you who cares who cares there's far more important things in life to worry about mm. you could walk out the door tomorrow and get run over by a bloody bus ladies and gentlemen <laughs> I, 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 think, I did obviously you mentioned it a couple of times sorry john i'm sorry i, I was just saying i've seen the aftermath of that it's not nice he was an ex-police officer oh really right yeah. right okay no I was just going to say, obviously, I have disclosed my vaccine status here today, which I'm happy to do. It's not a problem. But I think uh, the reason I did share it was maybe to give you all a bit more of a context as to where my opinions were coming from. And, and you know, what I, I think that yeah. that's the reason I did share it. But Yeah, but you, you, you know. I didn't have to. I know. But the thing is, never, ever feel bad about, uh, you know, telling someone to, yeah, as, as crazy as going to sound, fuck off. If they if, if they if they if they demand to know your vaccination status, you can do this to them and not feel bad about it because it's none of it's none of my mm-hmm. business. It's none of John's business. It's none of anybody's business. Okay, I, I I'm on so much medication. I'm on so much medication. I'm not going to sit here and disclose it to everybody. I mean, mm. I will if they ask. I've got nothing to hide. But I I, I I'm not going to, as a rule of thumb, disclose the medications that I'm on to people. It's none of their business. It's none of their business. And we've got to get out of this divisive behavior that is being fausted upon the country by yeah. these fucking arseholes in government because they're the ones doing all of this. I don't think, as for, for as long as I've been alive, I don't feel as though the country is so divided as it currently is. Huh? If we look at Brexit, Remain, if we look at anti-vax vax if you look at you know there's so many the, the afghan it's refugees gone. and yeah it's it's it, it, i've never felt the country you know it's completely so utterly divided as, as it currently is it's it's um yeah you know i go around uh and, and i know there's, there's no mask mandates at all anymore but i still like so i go around it's about 50 15 supermarkets at the moment but you can still feel the tension People are staring at you from behind their masks. And, and I went around masks. Anyway, I was exempt, disabled, um, and, and mental health reasons anyway. But uh, you would get stared at and you could just feel that they were, a lot of the people were either scared of you or they were angry with you. And they just, it just felt so, it's two years of feeling unnatural and sometimes often feeling like a criminal just for showing my mm. face. I mean, I, I flew unmasked in 2020. I flew unmasked. Um <laughs> I remember people jumping into hedges. Oh, my God. I, I tell you what, I was in town. Yeah, I was in town. Pavement. And there were two people on my left walking towards one another. This was this was during the first lockdown. And the woman, rather than walk past the bloke, jumped in front of my car, and I had to slam the brakes on because she didn't want to be close to him. So she, mm-hmm. she jumped it. I nearly killed someone <laughs> because of the fear the government put in them because yeah. she jumped out. In, in in the road, uh, Spencer says, "Didn't stop you unmasked from singing loudly in Asda, though." Yeah, well, we went for a coffee, didn't we, Spencer? Oh, oh. Because remember the rules in this last uh, mask mandate: you were exempt if you were singing the entire time around the supermarket. That's how absolutely <laughs> that's, that's, ridiculous. That's, 
that was a legal exemption. Legal exemption. If you were singing in the supermarket, you're exempt from wearing a mask. Now but tell me how projecting your voice is stopping you uh, excreting a respiratory mm-hmm. virus. Probably it should be doing more. <laughs> yeah, it will be. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this is this is the other one. So Lisa says in the chat, breaking news: fire fire safety concerns yeah, was... raised over Nicola Sturgeon's new plan. You've well, heard Nicola Sturgeon's new plan, right, Matt? She she wants to ventilate the classrooms. Uh, the Scottish government are going to spend. This is this is no words of a lie. The Scottish government, in order to ventilate classrooms from COVID, is going to spend three hundred thousand pounds of chopping the bottom off classroom doors. <laughs> pounds on chopping the bottom off classroom doors and that's going like, to ventilate against covid according to sturgeon wasn't we brought this up last night on our podcast yeah it's true it's not breaking news because we've no no the breaking news is the fire safety concerns that have now been raised over her plans fire safety concerns last night as well yeah we raised them last night i said what are you going to do with fire doors didn't i well we could but this is this is this is how mad we've gone an official government policy is to chop the bottom off doors and we're going to spend three hundred thousand pounds of taxpayers money on it matt but apparently, it's even better. <laughs> it's a temporary measure. So, what what happens once once you need to put the bit back on? Do they just go ahead and glue the bit back on? Well, they have to go and buy new doors. They have to buy new doors, aren't they? They have to buy new doors. It's fucking mental. That is that, that is that is a very strange policy. That that is that is incredibly strange. That's what we expect. Str- strange is strange is one word to describe it. Um, <laughs> clown world in the chat says Lisa. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming on episode ten of After Dark. It's been a pleasure. It has. We'll keep in touch. No, thanks. Thanks very much. You know, both for having me. You know, it, it, I've really enjoyed it. I, I was, I was a bit skeptical. I thought, what, what am I walking into here? But. Actually, oh, you thought no. it was an ambush. I hope we walk. I hope. I hope we. Uh, I hope we guided you through it uh, <laughs> with ease. No, you did. You did. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There's always going to be some hot topics. I expected that, but you know, mm. it's very clear the passion we all have. You know, in, in regards to we're, yeah. we're passionate and we care. We've got different views, but we it's because we're we're passionate mm. and, and you know we want we want answers that we're not getting answers to. Yeah. And that's we're yeah, probably not going to get answers for a while, but. Ultimately, we all want a quiet life, don't we? Exactly. Left alone. Let me do the uh, let me do the obligatory bit on the end. So, yes. uh, because of the issues we are having with YouTube at the moment, because uh, uh, they they banned our channel today on YouTube for uh, alleged hate speech, uh, which didn't exist. So we we put out an interview yesterday with uh, the owner of a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. He he's had a very very hard life. Um, he's gone through it he's been through a lot of shit he's actually having a documentary made about him right now and uh our interview is going to form a little bit of that documentary um and uh they struck the i think it's the automated system struck the interview for hate speech so we're now going through the appeals process right now i've actually had someone from youtube now contact me and say they are manually going to try and sort it out so there we go i did like, I did like how they said 
I'd like to remind you, that, remind you though, that coming to YouTube's office will not help. Yeah, don't, they, they, they said don't come to the office. Uh, so that probably means we'll, if, if they don't sort it out, YouTube will come to the office. But, um, but, um, so, so if you can't, if you, if you want to catch up with our content at the moment, then head to rumble.com forward slash descent media, where we're going to start a new channel. We're going to build, well, we started a channel. We're going to build a new channel up there. Thank you for watching right now. We are on, we are on a uh, John's secret YouTube channel at the moment. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but so thank you for those that did, did tune in on YouTube. Thank you for those that have watched on Twitch. And thank you to all of you that have watched on Twitter tonight. I know you guys on Twitter can't get involved in the chat. And if you want to help support our shows and you want to help get John back to the UK, then consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash chasing descent. So on that note, John, I'm going to let you uh, sign out the show and then I'll put out the outro. And it's good night from me. Good night from me. And good night from Matt. Sorry. Good night from me. Sorry. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Everyone. Thanks. Diamonds underneath those rocks, a second hand car and a new pair of socks. I want liberty without conditions. Roll up the carpet from the floor. I don't want to be your prisoner no more. I want liberty.
Liberty on my conditions. 